Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. Hello and welcome to Culture Lab from New Scientist Podcasts. This is the show where we feature science-adjacent and science-influenced stuff in the world of culture. I'm culture and comment editor Alison Flood, and I'm speaking to Lewis Dartnell, an astrobiology researcher and professor at the University of Westminster. Lewis is the author of The Knowledge, How to Rebuild Our World from Scratch, and Origins, How the Earth Shaped Human History. We are here to discuss his new book, Being Human, How Our Biology Shaped World History, which is out on the 1st of June. Lewis, you describe your three books, The Knowledge, Origins and Being Human, as a trilogy of titles. Can you explain how they fit together and what you were setting out to do with Being Human? Yeah, so it's 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 only a very loose trilogy. I, I feel like I, I should point out that you, you can read any one of the books and not have to have read the others. You can read them in any order you like. But in my mind, at least, when I sat down to start researching and writing the latest book, Being Human, I kind of realised in my own mind that this was the third of a loose set of three books that I'd wanted to set out to write a couple of years ago. And the knowledge is all about how you go about rebuilding civilization from scratch. Could you reboot civilization after some kind of global catastrophe or some kind of hypothetical apocalypse? And I was using that conceit, that premise, as a way of peering behind the scenes of our modern world and asking, how does everything work? Where does it come from? Could you do it for yourself if you ever needed to? So in a sense, that is good. It's actually got nothing to do with the apocalypse. That's just a way of phrasing a question. And it's all about the science and technology that enabled us to progress through the centuries and build the modern world. It's about human ingenuity and human resourcefulness. And with the, the next book, Origins, I wanted to pull back on that perspective even further and look at not how human ingenuity has built the world we live in today, but how the planet itself we live on has had a profound influence and, and guiding directing influence on human history. So aspects of plate tectonics or the circulation of the atmosphere high above our heads or where different minerals and different metal resources are found around the world. And with the latest book, with Being Human, I'm kind of returning to my home field, if you like, of biology. I'm, I'm a biology graduate. And so what I'm trying to do with this new book is look at how 
intrinsic fundamental aspects of us as an animal, as a species, of our humanness, and how those have had a defining influence on human history. So things to do with our genetics and particularly mutations or our anatomy and physiology or our psychology and cognitive biases, how these different features of us, of us as an animal, how they have had this huge long range effect on, you know, over across the centuries, across the millennia of different cultures and societies and civilizations in history. Was there something in particular which sent you down this road, like a particular fact or piece of research that you stumbled across that made you want to explore how our bodies and, and our psychological biases have shaped our history? No, no one thing in particular, to be, to be totally honest. It's, so for all of my books, and Being Human will be my fifth book, I've, I've written a book out just genuinely out of sheer curiosity. I wrote the book that I wanted to read and realized didn't really exist yet. So I thought, oh, I'll sit down. I'll do the sort of the journalist, the writer's job of doing all the background reading and digging around and doing some research and finding the stories and, and joining the dots between these themes and trends and writing it up. But some of the stories that I came across when I was researching being human really stood out to me. I found things like that the scurvy story and some aspects of our cognitive biases, things that I'd I was kind of dimly aware of before, but hadn't really anticipated the, the relevance and then the effects they have had on, on our history. Sure. Well, you've mentioned scurvy, which was one of the really interesting takeaways I, I took from the book. <laughs> so you talk about how the genetic defect, which manifests itself in scurvy, inadvertently gave rise to the mafia, which wasn't where I expected you to go. <laughs> but can, can you talk us through that one? Yes, I think that the story of scurvy itself is a relatively familiar one. And, and what I try to do throughout the book is take something which already feels a bit obvious, maybe a bit familiar, maybe a bit commonplace, and make it seem strange. Show to the reader why this is actually a weird thing to have happened to, to us as a species. And one of the examples of that is, is why humans have families. It's just something we absolutely take for granted. But when you think about it biologically, this unit of a human family is quite a rare thing. It doesn't really happen much in animals and other species. So something very special happened in our evolution to create the pair bond between mother and father and the, and the unit of the family. And another one of these things which I think feels quite familiar is the, is the scurvy story. The fact that humans need vitamin C in our diet. And if we don't eat enough vitamin C, we start developing a deficiency disease called scurvy, where quite literally our body starts just falling apart at the seams. We, we need vitamin C in our body to help us produce a long-stranded protein called collagen, which is the stuff that knits our body together. It makes the connective tissue between our muscles and our tendons and our ligaments and our, and our bones and, and cartilage. And scurvy has, has arisen as a disease in different populations through history around the world, often if there's a famine or a besieging army isn't getting a particularly diverse diet. But the curious thing is scurvy started striking with absolute coal-fisted inevitability for a particular subset of the human race, beginning in the, in the sort of 1400s, and that was sailors in the age of sail. So hundreds of people would be crammed into a sailing ship for weeks, if not months on end, living on a restricted diet. And the vitamin C would, be, would run down in their body, and they'd start falling apart at the seams. They'd start experiencing all of the horrific afflictions of, of scurvy. And so this didn't just affect some of the epoch-defining voyages of exploration discovery, like Vasco da Gama's trip across the Indian Ocean to, to, the, to the Far East, or Magellan's circumnavigation around the world, it affected just normal sailors running, plying the trade routes back and forth across the oceans for hundreds of years. It was a huge determining factor for, na for navies in 
how effective you can keep your warships operating at sea and, and you know, jousting and, and tussling with each other for, for supremacy of, of the ocean's waves. And the Royal Navy was the first force to really solve this problem of scurvy by provisioning lemon juice, preserved lemon juice on, on all of their ships. And this is said to be one of the key factors that led to the success of the Royal Navy in the Napoleonic Wars, in the blockading the, the French and Spanish ships and ensuring victory at the Battle of Trafalgar. But the, the sort of clickbait at the end of this, as you mentioned, is that that use of lemons meant they became hugely in demand. And Lord Nelson turned the island of Sicily effectively into a, into a lemon-growing factory. And the value of lemons were incredibly high. And at this period in history, Sicily was, was, was relatively lawless. It, it was poorly governed, poorly controlled. So the fact you've got something which is very valuable, but very easy to steal out of an orchard, meant that these lemon growers effectively had to turn to, to finding their own muscle. They, they hired private security, basically, to, to protect their orchards which then evolved into effectively a protection racket. So that towards the end of the 1800s, what we would recognise today as the mafia had emerged and evolved out of the, the conditions in Sicily, driven by the price of lemons, which comes down to the solving the problem of scurvy and the power of navies, which comes down to a spelling mistake, a genetic mutation in one of our genes in human biology. And I love that as an example of this sort of long chain of cause and effect from something intrinsic and fundamental about us as a species through its effects through history, and then have this almost like sort of quirky endpoint to, to reach. Yeah, and that's what you, what you keep doing in the book. You kind of put together the these quirks of our human biology with historical events that you might not have paired them with and, and give us a new perspective on them. So another one that I really liked was where you explore monogamy and the pair bond, as you were talking about yeah. before, on the attempts to keep power within a close family and how that led to the downfall of the Habsburg dynasty in Europe after around 400 years and how that then led to a shift in the political landscape of Europe and the world, really. So can you can you talk us through that one? Yeah, it's, it's, it's all connected. <laughs> so the, the, the sort of starting point in, in this story here is, as I alluded to earlier, the concept of the human family is actually quite a weird thing amongst other animal species. And what was happening in our evolution is that we were simultaneously becoming more and more intelligent, having a bigger and bigger brain, but also evolving to be bipedal, to walk upright. And because you, during the process of mammalian birth, you have to pass the baby's skull through the mother, a hole in the mother's pelvis, those two trends came sort of evolutionary loggerheads to each other, that there was a fundamental contradiction there. You can't start having skulls that are too big whilst being able to give birth through the hole in the pelvis enables you to walk upright. And in our evolution, nature hit upon the solution of giving birth to effectively very immature human babies. And, and we take years and years and years to even start resembling being self-sufficient or self-reliant compared to something like a gazelle, which within minutes is bouncing off on its feet and bounding alongside it, its mother on, on the savannah. And the fact that humans are therefore so vulnerable for so long in their childhood means that no one parent can successfully raise children by themselves. And clearly there, there are single parents today with, with support of modern society and, and, and friends and relatives. but in general, it takes two parents to raise a human baby. And evolution ensured that those two parents, that mother and father, would stay together through those very vulnerable years of the child by creating a pair bond, by a, a hormonal link between the mother and father that's mediated by a hormone called oxytocin, which is also the bond between the mother and her child. The same bond was then used between mother and father. 
And indeed, as a species, we've extended that oxytocin embrace, if you like, to include our friends and, and people we feel very close bond to. So this created the, the sort of concept of romantic love within the human, this bond between mother and father, as well as the unit of the family, mother and father and close relatives and, and immediate children. And with the origin of civilization, not only could your genetics and particular traits be inherited from your parents, but also wealth and power and influence. And this clearly gave rise to monarchy, rulership, sovereignty by a particular family, which is passed down from generation to the next. Mostly the, the convention that arose was that passes to the eldest son. And so a lot of the monarchies around Europe and around the world used marriage, which again is just a sort of cultural concept built on top of this pair bond, which is evolutionary and built into us between the mother and father. They use marriage as a political tool to tie themselves to other powerful families, to try to ensure peace between different kingdoms. And the Habsburgs were absolute legends. They were grandmasters at playing this game of thrones, choosing strategic marriages, marrying off their, their sons and daughters. But it came back to, to bite them. The biology came back and, and sort of caught them on the backswing in a very disastrous way. And within the line of the Spanish Habsburgs, the last Spanish Habsburg king, Charles, was so riddled, if you like, with genetic abnormalities. He seemed incapable of, of fathering a child. And the entire Spanish Habsburg line fell extinct because of the biological consequences of this Marit this program of strategic marriages for, for power brokering. You say uh, within, his, like, his uncle was his mum. I don't know. They're, they're all they're all so intermarried. They were so intertwined and intermarried that there was uncles having children with their nieces. There were cousin cousin marriages, and that was happening through, across European monarchy, but particularly within the Habsburgs because they became such a wide family, such a powerful, influential family for hundreds of years of, of European history. And because he had no kids, kind of the empire crumbled after his death? How did it affect the kind of the path of history? The collapse of the Spanish Habsburgs led to a war of succession, the Spanish War of Succession, with the, you know, the British and the French, the Dutch, all basically using an excuse to have a jolly good rumble across Europe and try to claim territories across each other. So it's, it was one of the defining moments in modern history, early modern history, and that sort of shift in power between what would become the major nation states in, in Europe coming across coming out of that biological consequence of marriage and children how it's been used for political ends but ultimately comes down to that biological fact of, of the human species when you make decisions for your company you look for the no-brainers if you have a lot of mailing to do stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer use the stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. When your skin feels nourished and glows, you radiate confidence. Osea makes giving your skin a glow-up easy with their clean, clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This seaweed-powered duo features two of Osea's bestsellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at OseaMalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu.com, code GLOW. 
How, how about today? I mean, you talk in, in the book about how we still have a Paleolithic palate and so we are still craving the high-value foods which are now available in, in abundance. So our, our biology is still very much affecting us. Yes, yeah, so, I mean, continuing from that sort of family story, nepotism is still rife in the modern world. We, we, we aren't generally ruled by monarchies anymore. We've moved to republics and and democracies. But nepotism is still very, very common in commerce and business. There's a lot of family-owned companies. I, for one, am very much enjoying uh, the TV series Succession at the moment, which was basically a sort of inheritance rivalry, inheritance struggle within a a rich commercial family. So nepotism is, is still very, very common in the modern world. But we're also not exactly slaves, but we're still deeply influenced by our long evolutionary history and how natural selections try to craft our psychology and our behavior to survive in our natural environment, our natural habitat of you know, so East African grasslands. And the particular example that you alluded to, this is one of the reasons why not becoming fat and in, in, in obese in the modern world is so very difficult, because we've been programmed to crave and to seek out high value food items, you say, things which are rich in sugar, or rich in salt or rich in fat, which would have been rare in our natural environment. But now they're very, very easy to come by and eat in great numbers, great amounts in the modern world. I, I have a confession for you. I picked up a pack of Battenbergs with my lunch, intending to, to make it last the week. And they have all gone by two o'clock in the afternoon. <laughs> so I am as bad as anyone else. We, we, we're sort of programmed to crave and seek out these high value food items, which the modern world can supply in great abundance for us. How can this affect us in the future? But how can we stop our cognitive biases, for example, from stopping us to respond effectively to big problems that we're facing today, like climate change, for example? So the last chapter of the book looks at these glitches in our mental software and these cognitive biases. And I open the chapter by discussing Columbus and how he effectively suffered from a cognitive bias known as confirmation bias. He refused to believe that he'd arrived anywhere other than the Orient Despite all of the contradictory evidence that he came across, he simply ignored that and just cherry-picked the evidence that supported his prior belief. That, that's the basis of a, of a confirmation bias. And a confirmation bias was the root of this sort of dodgy dossier that got put together detailing the supposed weapons of mass destruction that led to the invasion of Iraq. It's, it's a, it's a cognitive bias that affects us all, and it has had important consequences throughout history. And as you were saying earlier, we, we are still subject to these cognitive biases today. And things like the confirmation bias feed into problems in the modern world to do with political polarization or the echo chamber of social media and only following people or only believing the opinions of people who already agree with you. We find it easier to find opinions that we agree with already rather than challenge our opinions or force ourselves to reconsider something. And this, of course, plays into some of the, the, the biggest challenges of the modern world such as climate change, and in particular things like denialism, that climate change is happening at all, or if it's happening, that it's human cause, and therefore we have the power to, to do something about it. What can we do about that? How can, how can we challenge those cognitive biases? Yeah, there's a lot of research going into this and trying to combat particular cognitive biases, because one of the most sort of insidious aspects of these glitches in our, in our mental software is often that even if you are aware of their existence, you can still very easily fall prey to them. So even cognitive bias researchers can fall prey to to some of these cognitive biases. But a lot of research is going into not just identifying and characterizing what these biases are, the sort of situations when they tend to arise in our behavior or in our our comings and goings and our activities, but ways to best mitigate against them. 
perhaps ways of setting up international negotiations so so that certain cognitive biases have this sort of claw stripped from them that are much less powerful as this influence behind the scenes. And one of the examples I talk about in the book was the Good Friday Agreement, so peace in, in Northern Ireland, which very successfully overcame some of the cognitive biases that would have otherwise potentially scuppered that, you know, sort of landmark historical peace accord. Yeah. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for coming on to chat, Lewis. That was me, new scientist, culture and comment editor, Alison Flood, talking with Lewis Dartnell, whose new book, Being Human, is out on 1st of June from Bodley Head. Thanks for listening to this episode of Culture Lab from New Scientist Podcasts. If you enjoy this, do subscribe to our show so you don't miss out on all our content. Bye for now. This podcast is produced by OG Podcasts. Find out more at ogpodcasts.co.uk. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum.